0: In the book, God is Just Like Jesus, and you can visit Godisjustlikejesus.com to have a look at the website. All right, this is the last week, and this is actually the last night. So, day 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, those seven days in the book, they're all related together because they're really the last couple few weeks where a lot happens, and man, you see some great things about Jesus' emotional health, relative to how he deals with the disciples' sins and failures. And, and yes, they have a lot of great successes. Sorry, I haven't covered those in this series. Um, but seeing how Jesus deals with them and their weakness and sin and failure, it just it gives you so much confidence knowing that we're secure with Jesus if we said yes to him and responded to him. And, um, and he's going to work with us to grow us and whatnot. So anyway, day 12, Jesus told them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Mark 14, 27 through 31. All right. Take a moment. Think about this argument we've been talking about. This happened a number of times when they're arguing about who's the greatest. And then connect it to this passage and talk about what is Peter saying relative to the other disciples. I mean, it's a little mind-blowing. But look at it and, hit and, and, and summarize what's happening. Hit pause and come back. All right, it's really, <laughs> oh my gosh, Lord have mercy. I mean, Peter's like me and all of us, right? Oh, the pride and the arrogance down there. And you just don't even think it's there. And then ah, it manifests and you're, you're terrified. So I say that because, you know, remember we talked about the first time they talked about who's the greatest. They're on the road up to Capernaum near uh, Galilee. And it's the first time Jesus has told them that he's going to die. And they start arguing about who's the greatest, Right among them presumably because they're worried about succession who's going to take over the movement and um, and and maybe that's two-thirds of the way through his public ministry then they wind their way south through Israel remember it's like 50 60 miles between the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem right so they wind their way down and as they pass through Jericho they start coming up to Jerusalem and then James and John get in with their mom and they like go after Jesus like we think James and John should be you know on the left and right of your side Jesus what do you think about that and um, so they do that right before he's going up to Jerusalem now if you look in your Bibles that happens in Matthew 18. Well flip back a chapter in Matthew 17 James and John and Peter have just been up the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. They've seen him transfigured into his true divine identity. It's just another passage where you find out Jesus is not only the human Messiah to sit in David's throne, but he's also God in human form. But regardless, um, James and John witness Moses and Elijah showing up to talk with Jesus specifically about his departure or his crucifixion, that he will die to take the sins of you and me and everyone onto himself. He'll pay for those uh, before God's justice for against evil, and then he'll get a like set everybody free. Well, James and John have seen Moses and Elijah show up in their glory, and yet a chapter later, they're not just trying to sneak past like Peter, Nathaniel. Um, you know, and all the other disciples and get the best seat and the highest honor. They're trying to sneak past Moses and Elijah, which <laughs> is shocking, mind-blowing. And really, when you sit down and think about it, it, just makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. I mean, these guys. Yeah, so... Um, That is the second time they argue about who's the greatest. Then the third time is when, you know, day 11 we just did. It's the last night. He gives them communion. And as soon as he gives them communion, they start arguing about who's the greatest once again. Right? And and Satan's just assaulting Jesus through the disciples' weakness and sin. And he doesn't have a meltdown. He actually gets down on his hands and knees, and he starts washing their feet. In John 13... Relative to this argument that you find in Luke, uh, I believe it's 22. And that's an amazing response, a a response of incredible humility and power. So we've seen this argument manifest three times majorly. And here, oh my gosh, Peter's like (laughs) throwing caution to the wind. Jesus is saying, you're all going to fall away. And Peter rushes in and just full arrogance and pride uh, and says, even if these other disciples fall away, like I never will. I am in a stand by you. I'm your homeboy. I have your back. There is nothing I won't do for you. I'm in a stand. They're probably going to fall. I thought they were losers anyway. But you you like them, but you know, I'm in a stand. (laughs) I know, I'm adding a lot there. My apologies. But it's astounding his uh, assertion that he is truly that great and these other ones will probably fall away or may fall away, but he will be left standing. And um of course the others all say the same thing they were like we there's no way we're falling either right we're all we will go to jail and to death with you and and um and so you know sometimes we just don't know our internal sin pride and arrogance i mean boy i hate to say it but i relate and you probably do too but jesus knows what we're made out of right and thank god he loves us when he knows all of our sins and failures anyway, right? He loves us before him, during and after our sins and failures, and calls us to repent and realign with him. So, take a moment and just try to craft what's Jesus' response to Peter's arrogance, and even the other 10, right? Uh, Or 11. All the others said the same. That that includes Judas. Wow. Think about that for a minute. Um, Tell me what Jesus doesn't do and then tell me what he does do in response to Peter and the others all right hit pause and come back okay it's so important to form your own thoughts on that and do that so hit pause again if you need to so it's really beautiful Jesus knows the sin's coming he's seen this sin of arrogance and pride who's the greatest manifest multiple times that's the that's the hardest time i have when i have talked to people about certain sins, or my children, heaven forbid, myself, about repetitive sins, because we all have repetitive sins. It's just, do we have the, the security with God to even admit that and then invite him into that area of our repetitive sins to, to strengthen us and help us overcome them? Uh, because he wants to. But when you're dealing with yourself, again, your children or others, and it's sin, sin that's happened time and time again, And it just keeps repeating. That's the time when in in our brokenness and our weakness, we tend to just have a meltdown and blow up. It's like, I've talked to you about this so many times, I can't believe it. And, you know, I'm sorry to say I've done that my fair share and I don't want to do that. And I want to grow more and more to be steady like Jesus. But it's beautiful. He does not accuse them, Peter, of shame. Like, Peter, you have no idea. Look, I already told you you're going to sin. Don't tell me you're not. He doesn't condemn him, like, oh, I just ought to give up on you. You know, you're hopeless. He doesn't uh, reject him, like, oh, I'm, just, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. You're, you're arguing about who's the greatest again, right? And he doesn't shame him and just belittle him. Or he doesn't distance him and, you know, do the passive aggression thing where we just kind of like, you know, are quiet and, and shirk off someone. Um, he stays with Peter and he says, Peter, let me tell you. He patiently instructs them about his own failure and struggle so that Peter will pray, right? If we can hear Jesus' instruction, we have the free will option to pray. And um, I just want to tell you, you know, he tells them, you're going to deny me. You're going to fall away. But, you know, there's levels to which we can we can do that. It could be like a quick little, uh, I don't know him. Or it can be a really intense, like, Peter actually does, we'll get to it in a few days. He denies them with oaths and curses because of a number of reasons that he doesn't know, denied, that he doesn't know Jesus. So when Jesus tells them to watch and pray, I mean, he's, he's really saying, there's reasons I'm telling you this. But let's stick with the passage here. He's telling them, "I know what's going to happen, and I want you to know before it happens so that you can know that I love you right now, I know the sin's coming." I love you during the sin, and I love you after. And so I'm giving you this instruction that it's going to happen and I know about it, but I'm for you. And we find out in some later passages that he also says, I'm praying for you. So Jesus is doing a bunch of stuff. So the takeaway section here is Colossians 1.15 and it says, Jesus, oh, sorry, my apologies, says the Son is the image of the invisible God. So since Jesus is the image of God, what are you seeing in Jesus that reveals something to you about the Father? All right? Hit pause and come back. So I know it's simple, but I'm going to say it again. The fact that Jesus knows about Peter's sin and just instructs him and doesn't condemn him, shame him, accuse him. That means God knows about her sins. Of course, we know that. But do we know that God's not shaming us or condemning us or um, fault finding us and that he's instructing us saying, I knew it was going to happen. I'm for you. I'm praying for you uh, to get through this. And we need to know that Jesus reveals the father. And if you have that understanding, then, and you know, he's for you, you can fight to overcome the evil things we say, think, or do because you know God's helping us. And we have somebody in our corner to help us actually get encouraged and overcome things and grow. Okay, the last thing is worship without music. Form a couple worship statements around this and uh, talk to him and tell him what you love about him, what you're amazed by, what you like about him, and then come back, okay? So hit pause and come back. Okay so here's just a few possible ones and I take this out on a walk and man it could be the middle of the work day. I've worked on computers all day long, it's 12 o'clock, I'm, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm depressed because I haven't been able to fix things or I have been able to fix them or you know low blood sugar or oh, it's just been one of those rough days and I can go out depressed and then I can just say, all right, I'm going to force my mouth to move and I'm going to acknowledge the truth. I'm like, Lord, you know, the other day we were talking about Peter. He was thinking he's better than all the rest. And, you know, you didn't accuse him for his arrogance and pride. Actually, you instructed him he's going to fall, but that um, you knew about it and you care about him. Man, that means a lot to me. I mean, it means a lot to me, Lord, that, that, you know, you're not just jumping down his throat like you think you're better than all the rest, and uh, and you you're not shaming him, and you're not doing all those things the devil do does to us. I love the fact that you're patient with him and you instruct Peter, like Peter. I know what's going to happen, and, uh, and and implicitly, you know, you're just saying that you care about him. And of course, we find out in those other passages that, you know you've prayed for him. I love the fact that you pray for Peter before his sin. I love the fact that you're praying for me before I fail in sin. We don't want to do that, but man, knowing that you're with us, you can help us overcome it. So there's a lot of worship statements to build in there, and if you will just practice those, whether you feel like it or not, your capacity worship will grow. And by the way, after I've worked in the truth of who Jesus is and just spent time worshiping him, being in awe of him, Five, 10 minutes later, my emotions are in a whole different place. I go back to work with energy to knock things out because I have perspective of reality and who God is. I'm like, hey, let's do it. I mean, if God's for me, who can be against me, right? Let's go back in knowing that he's for us, do our jobs, care about our wives, our children, our friends. Uh, if we're retired, the people around us and care about ourselves, right? Because, you know, one of the things that I'm kind of out of time, how do you talk to yourself when you sin we can't be accusing ourselves if Jesus doesn't we can't be condemning ourselves we can't be shaming ourselves or rejecting ourselves we have to treat ourselves like Jesus does and that means we as a soul i kind of thought you might struggle in this area you did but god's for you get up and walk and let's overcome this thing and not wallow in self-pity and condemnation Don't give the devil the time of day, but just remember how Jesus treats us and talk to yourself that way too. All right.